How's it going? And welcome to episode 148 of On The Wire. Proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at On The Wire Pod. You can follow me at 80 Grade. That's all spelled out. And you can follow Kevin at Hasting Kevin. Uh, we have a great show lined up today as we start a little earlier than last year. Uh, but it's a good time to start our preview episodes um, we do this a little bit differently than you might hear on other podcasts. We, of course, we want to do it our own way. It kind of fits what we do throughout the course of the season. Uh, so you might hear all other podcasts doing it based on the position, uh, maybe based on teams. We base it on our categories that we talk about every single week. So power, speed, opportunity, et cetera, et cetera, on the hitting side. And we'll get into pitching in a couple of weeks as well. Uh, so we're going to get into the weeds on power this week. But before we all do all that, Kevin, uh, I'm glad you were able to take a little bit of a break as you just jumped off your panel at PitchCon. We were recording this on Wednesday, uh, a couple of days before the pod would go out. Uh, but you had a nice day of recording uh, here uh, with uh, Lucas and Dave Potts. Uh, Lucas Beery, that is. Um, great job. And, uh, you know, glad to see you're ready to get right back on the mic, though. Oh, yeah. Thank you. It was a blast, as always, talking baseball. Always up for that. PitchCon going on. We got five days of this. Uh, what It'll be winding down as, as this episode drops. But five days of PitchCon. We're still talking uh, our, our categories and, and getting into them. I got a lot of great feedback in Arizona about the way we do this. Uh, not that there's not value in, in going team by team or position by position, but other shows do that and the feedback i got in arizona was people enjoy this little different take on it which is why we do it and that's awesome and uh can't wait to get into it with our guests we've been waiting a long time for this one adam yeah yeah so luckily we got a great guest to help us break down uh the the power category targets that we're looking for and joining us today is john Legiza, who is best known probably as MLB moving averages on the Twitter, though his handle is just simply at John Legiza. Uh, he, that MLB moving averages was center stage when you won your FSWA award for your article about rolling charts, which Scott Chu of PitcherList was also very, uh, very fond of, I'm sure, as well as he's talking about it probably three different times at, at, at PitchCon. Uh, so congratulations, John, on those. I'm waiting for the uh, nominations to come out this year. They should be coming out probably actually as this episode drops. So look forward to that. Make sure you're following the FSWA on the Twitter for those nominations. Uh, but you can follow John's rest of his work pretty much everywhere. We we're talking about it before, uh, before coming on air. John, you are so many places, specifically most commonly known at, at The Athletic, Hammer Betting Network, and on your Twitter, like I said, at John Legiza. You could check for a link for that in the show description as well. If you're not already following him, I'm not sure what you're doing. But, John, thank you so much for coming on, man. This is, this oh, man, is, this is great. great. Yeah, Twitter really is the best place. I streamline it all through there. Sometimes I can be a bit ubiquitous, right? I'm going to say it off air. I'm like a, I'm like a mercenary. If you if you'll pay, like, we'll travel. <laughs> um, yeah, you guys are totally refreshing, right? You should never apologize for doing it differently. Man, if you're doing it different, you brought the right guest. But you guys <laughs> really are great. I'm, I'm telling you, you guys are on my legit Mount Rushmore for must listens. It's an absolute, absolute must listen every single week. I, I, I don't know if you listen to my show. It's weird. We'll probably talk about this a little bit because I have more of a, you know, like a moniker for betting 
right? I guess it's my daily work. I do bring a lot of the overlap from fantasy, right? The advanced statistics, the way we talk about you have to, you know, yeah. ball and flight. I find it helps me very much so in NFBC in particular, like deeper high stakes leagues when it comes to pitching, because I have the magnifying glass every day out on these pitchers. A lot of times I've seen them already before they've even really hit the box score a couple of times. I've already been up on it because we're just constantly scraping for five inning bets and stuff. Anyway, so follow me up on Twitter. I really love the show. You guys have a great chemistry, kind of a one plus one equals three thing. And I know a lot of people really dig. And man, if anyone is not, you know, just listening to this for me, make sure you're following both these guys because <laughs> the Fab Show is, you know, the Fab Show is really, really good. It's really, really good. And man, you guys give away a lot of good information. I'm going to be playing in my first main event this year. I actually won a qualifier. You know, coming from oh, points wow. league and betting, I didn't know if I could really hang with the NFBC players. So I figured what better way than to kind of win your way in. It's a nice low price point. You get all the competition and, mm-hmm. you know, see what you can do. And I was able to actually win one with a, and just a bunch of main event players in it. So that it's very hard. The thing about the MEQs is so interesting just because it's, Kevin, you told me this in season one of the show. It's like, remind me, it's winner take all. It's like yep. you put yep. in your 150 bucks. If you don't win, if you don't come in first, you get nothing. As it's 125. Yeah. 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 So the price point's really low. Mm-hmm. And especially if you're kind of split it with somebody, that's been my favorite way to try and introduce mm-hmm. new players into NFPC. Because I mean, first of all, that reward is great. And again, the price point is really low when you consider the length of it plus learning experience that you get. And yeah, man, let's get into this power stuff. I'm, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. I. I. You mentioned the awards briefly. The not to shamelessly self promote too much, but yeah. the article that I did submit it does play into this. Okay, and it cool. was before the season happened. Just my kind of inference on how things might play out. The evidence that we saw with more of a deadened ball in 2022, home runs were way down, and one of the things that I. I was correct about now. Not say I invented this thing, but to really look at kind of pull power as that way to supersede the way raising the seams or playing with the ball affected hang time, right? Because that's really what we saw. We're actually going to talk about one of the players now, like a Miguel Sano type of guy. When you have towering fly balls, were punished. The longer they were up in the air, the more those heightened scenes had a chance, like little parachutes. I talked to Barton Smith about this. That's how he described it. He's objectively brilliant. And they have more time to, you know, create impedance and slow the ball down from getting out. So the best way to do that is to pull it, keep it lower, and shorten that distance. Sure. So you're going to hear that running through, as like a running theme, let's say, you know, pull power greater than sign, even something like bowel rates. Nice, nice. Well, I'll look forward to seeing that get uh, in the final nominations. Uh, I'm assuming, it, obviously, in one of the uh, articles of the year uh, awards that they put out on the on the baseball side. Um, but yeah, like you said, let's get into it. We got some news we need to cover because things happen. Of course, Kevin and I uh, talked about how this first item came across the desk wh- apparently while we were recording last week. So yep. we did not hit on it. Uh, so let's get to it now. It's been talked about a lot. So let's take a little bit of a different spin. Kevin, I'll start off with you. Robert Stevenson, uh, the only player that I have 100% exposure for in my first five drafts on NFBC. Uh, he signs with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. 
He says he's not the closer or doesn't expect to be the closer. Carlos Estevez is still the closer as far as he's concerned. Um, but so many, so many takes on Twitter think otherwise as if they are, you know, making the decisions themselves. Uh, how much do you, how much take, first of all, what do you expect Stevenson's role to be not only from the gate, but at, like throughout the course of the season? Um, and how much stock do you put into a player's word? Like in this kind of a scenario where they're not making the decisions either, but it's what they say. It's the only thing you've got right now. Yeah, I think I think Stevenson is the closer, and and maybe opening weekend if if the Angels have a lead, they send Estevez out there. Uh, I I I could see that absolutely, but you know his Estevez's underlying numbers weren't great last year. He was awesome for fantasy for the saves he provided. Those that got him late reap the rewards and you, you know this is a term i don't like to throw around light lightly but he won people leaks because it, it, if the if that was their weakness was saves and he was somebody they took a shot on they got what they needed from him uh but uh the the, the underlying numbers weren't as great as what he was doing uh the k percentage amazing uh Everything else, expected stats, um, ERA up around four, and so and and these type of things. Uh, but I I think it's Robert Stevenson. It would be different if we were hearing this, and I'd still be leery of it. But it'd be different if it was a pitching coach or the manager. I I think this is Robert Stevenson uh, being Mister Nice Guy. Coming into town, I'm not going to ruffle any feathers. No, I'm not the closer. They have a closer, but by the second week in April, I think he's the closer. Yeah, that's probably fair. John, you have a different take on this? Is it just Mr. Nice Guy being nice and trying to make a, the right first impression going into a new team? Um, or is there any any credence there? I was nodding along to the last part because I do think that's what he was doing. Just kind of being polite. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be professional to do it any other way. Right, it's not your decision. Why even kind of stick yourself into that? To the actual situation, you know, there's like a Dr. Dave thing, but I really do believe that the ninth inning is like is a role. It's like a, almost like a individual skill in itself that Estevis is showing the ability to hold on to and at least deliver on somewhat. So I don't think he's fully going to be bumped out. I think they're going to end up sharing, and it'll probably come down to leverage. You know, I think in a higher leverage spot, seven or eight, it's easier to go to Stevenson, whose numbers are just like absolutely insane. You have a 30% K minus BB as three different pitches that have a 40% whiff rate, kind of cartoonish, some of his stuff. So you're not going to go to, you're not going to Estevez in those really rough spots. That's, that's not his style, right? The strikeouts are not necessarily there. The swing and miss, you know, induction is not really there. So, I think in a in a kind of a standard game, yeah, maybe Stevenson will slam the door. But I think with his trouble, he'd be the first one to get the call in the seventh and yep. the eighth. So Estevez shares probably took a bit of a of a hit, but I bet you for the way that they're about to drop, there might be creative value in a month or two in like DCs, let's say. Fair, fair. Uh yeah, like I mentioned, uh Stevenson's the only guy that I've have I've drafted in all five. Oh, of that's a great so pick, far. man. Uh great pick. and doing it and i said this on previous shows it wasn't just like it definitely had a, a part to play in the fact that 
I was hoping he would find a role like, you know, wherever he ended up being. But I also knew that this where you were where I was able to draft him, um, he was going to provide me value no matter what, like just the the skills that he he shown, even with Tampa, like he was still a kind of a, a middle reliever or a late inning reliever that you could still plug into your lineup when you had nothing else available on the wire, no starting pitching that you actually wanted to pull the trigger on. Um, so I knew, you know, it was still somebody that was going to provide me value no matter where he went, because even if he didn't find a ninth inning role, he's going to find a seventh or eighth inning role, and he was going to be used a lot and a lot more than I think Tampa uh, was going to be using him. So, yeah, Stevenson probably not. He probably won't end up being at a hundred percent of my teams after it's all said and done. Now that he's going in the, uh, you know, in the Craig Kimbrell that closer range, um, but, so we'll see if uh, that kind of that fire kind of pitters out um, as the weeks go on. Uh, Angels made another minor signing, John. Uh, you got two guys that signed minor league uh, contracts, and I wanted to get your take on either one of these guys. Miguel Sano, you mentioned earlier, he does sign a minor league deal with the Angels. Uh, Trey Mancini signs a minor league deal of his own as well with Miami. Both are invited to spring training. They're both going to fight for a spot on the major league roster. Uh, in your opinion, which one of these guys actually makes enough of a dent in spring training to make their major league roster and make it and then possibly make a dent on fantasy radars man tricky question because i think mancini's the better player with more hurdles in this way than snow who i think is the decidedly worst baseball player but just being on the angels angels halfway yeah. to playing time <laughs> almost more than anybody so i just had a couple of quick notes a, a couple of things that surprised me miguel snow's only 30 years old i thought he was a lot older than that so sure. my first thought was, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater, but it is a two thirty four career batting average. He does have a 35 home run career 600 plate appearance pace. I know that's a mouthful, but it's something I use in my rankings that helps me. It's almost like right we use Steamer 600 to level projections to sure. an even playing field. I've been using 600 PA paces to help smooth out 2020, uh, you know, if that makes if that makes any kind of sense at all, just to help incorporate 2020 more fairly than we keep saying, oh, he's done this in the last three full seasons. We don't want to overweight 2020, but we don't want to forget it either. So that's what I've been using. So 35 dongs, 600 PA pace might be something there, but it really is really, really empty. Last thing I had to know was he taught me about barrel percentage, and I think this is a really good, really, really, really important lesson for people that might just be getting along or first understanding advanced metrics. So we hear Bauer rate and everyone loves it. Miguel Sano is the, like, I don't know how you put it. It's not the antithesis to Bauer rate, but he, he's, it's really important understanding how it works. So if Miguel Sano gets up a hundred times, he strikes out 99 of them. And in his one batted ball event has a barrel. He'll have a 100% Bauer rate. There it is. And you look back and say, Miguel Sano a hundred percent Bauer rate. Not contextualizing the fact that he struck out 99 out of the last 100 times. So barrel rate is just on batted ball events. A lot of people use barrel rate over plate appearance, which again yep. will kind of smooth it out, which I think is the way to go because he's the guy that told me about that. I walked chin first into that before. Like, oh, man, these barrel rates are popping off the page. What you don't know is the contact rate is just always so, so poor, like, you know, career contact rate. At 77, which is really bad. So I like Trey Mancini. He was very easy to root for because of the backstory. He's still a 109 WRC plus career player. So at 31 years old, there might be something in the tank there. But I do think he's blocked. 
So he'd probably have to be pretty good to work his way up there. But Miami, right? It's Miami. So they're kind of competitive, right? They've made, they've kind of done like a National League raise type of deal, like discount moves that are impactful, right? People are kind of oh, LOLing the Marlins, but they are moving forward. The burger move, they look very smart on that. A lot of the pitching moves, they look really smart. So I like Mancini better, but maybe we see Snow. I don't know. I don't want to draft either. Yeah, I mean, Sano didn't play at all last season. And, uh, I mean, Mancini didn't play a whole lot either. I mean, 79 games for the Cubs um, in a, you know, definitely a part-time role for various reasons. Uh, finds a new place where he's, you know, got more hurdles. Yeah, I mean, Kevin John was talking about, you know, barrel rates over PA. We talk about this all the time because one of the standard stats at the, on the pitcherless player pages, obviously, is hard contact rate versus instead of using hard hit rate. Uh, for the exact same reasons, John, that you were talking about uh, is it's going over PAs. So you get a better sense of the consistency of what those, you know, that uh, hard rate is, is going on. Um, can you can you see either one of these guys? Def- I can't imagine either one of these guys are on your draft radar. Um, but are you looking at them as one of your, you know, first week or two free agent bids? Um, or am I completely off base that like, should these guys be? the guys we're talking about in the final round, if you're looking for power in your free agent, um, uh, in your fab style leaks. Maybe if, if we're looking at the, the schedules of Miami and and the angels and they're favorable. and, And that's what we're doing here is making a fab move. But in the last round or two of our draft, uh, as we approach the season, that's a little difficult to do now. Yes, we can start looking at schedules, but we don't know starting pitching lineups and and, and such. But it 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 could. But for the most part, no, I agree with you. These are guys we'll be talking about throughout the season, and the, they're the types of guys that that can be valuable, depending on the matchups coming up. But I, I don't foresee drafting them to use often throughout the season. Um, unfortunately, that, that like like John said, we all love Trey Mancini, right? But uh, I, I just don't think there's a lot of value there. Other than I think there'll be matchups throughout the year we can take advantage of. All right. Well, another another signing here, uh, all by himself in a major league contract. Joey Gallo joins the Washington Nationals. Kevin. Uh, I mean, just overall thoughts on where Gallo is now in his career, what you expect out of him. And I mean, honestly, Washington isn't the worst park for him, for his, uh, his like to have landed. Uh, what are you expecting out of Gallo in on a team that isn't expected to go many places? Oh, it's unfortunate uh, the the way things have went so far south on Joey Gallo. I mean, we 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 knew this. We knew who he was all the way back in 2015 when when he hit 204, right? And, and then when he was hitting 40 home runs, he was hitting 209 and 206. We knew this, but 181, 199, 160, 177. Those are his batting averages the last four seasons. And even in limited at bats, that that's it's it's just too big of a hit, unfortunately, for me. Uh I I'm a big Joey Gallo fan. Joey Gallo will be on some of my rosters throughout the upcoming season, but it's going to be in spots when I really like the matchups. Uh even a guy. I mean, he's he's projected to hit low twenties home runs in, you know, four hundred 
plate appearances, between four and 500 plate appearances, depending on what you're looking at, uh, which projection system. That's great. You can't leave him in your lineup for all of those at-bats with the the well below 200 batting average, in my opinion. I, I just... I, I, I can't see that being viable in spots when we need power. And we're talking about this category on a weekly basis throughout the season. And Washington's got a full week and their favorable matchups and Gallo's been playing every day. Yeah. I'd, I'll throw him in my lineup here and there throughout the season. I, I just can't draft him though. So, I mean, everything you, you... I kept, I keep hearing, I kept, and I still do hear it time to time, the theory that Joey Gallo would have just made the best leadoff hitter. They should have just been a leadoff hitter everywhere he's gone, just because obviously he knows how to get on base, doesn't always know how to, you know, get the ball in play per se, or at least get on base by hitting the ball, but he can walk. Uh, the Phillies have done that with Kyle Schwarber. I mean, basically doing the exact same thing, say very similar profile, at least on the top level. Uh, John, like what, what is it about Gallo that that just never came to fruition? And why does it work for Schwarber? I mean, Gallo is much worse than Kyle Schwarber. <laughs> you know what I mean? it's a, He's the most extreme, the most extreme version of one of these hitters. I'm looking at it now, he hasn't hit a, 200 in four years. It's been four seasons. He hasn't cracked them in those lines. Nearly 1,600. These are full seasons. Dude, these aren't short samples. No, 1,600 plate appearances is is basically full stabilization for anything, right? Whatever whatever you've got to throw at me, (laughs) 1,598 plate appearances are going to handle it. I mean, last year, 43% strike it. And it's funny because, man, he actually has the. Some of the underpinnings of a power profile that I will chase, but again, the negatives are all dialed up to their absolute maximum. And what I mean is this. So for all the striking out, he doesn't chase, which is unusual, right? I mean, chasing is the worst part, right? You get up there and you're wild. They're swinging at stuff you had no chance at. That's not the case. Gallo only had a 29% O-swing last year, which is you know pretty good. His zone swing is actually good, too. Up near 74% is pretty darn aggressive, which is what you want him doing, even if he's going to have the huge 19% swing and miss, which, again, is just so absurd. It's so absurdly bad. Like, those hitters, the strike rate instead of 43, you could stomach it if it's 32. If the swing and strike rate is 15 and a half and not 19, that's what I mean. All these things are just dialed up to 11, but then you get to the – Power stuff again. I use the word cartoonish, but that's what it is. 58 fly ball, 19 barrel, 59 pull, a 464 expected Woba on contact, and a better than 15% pulled fly ball line drive to PA rate, which again is a mouthful, but something I've been using. I mean, he checks all the power boxes. If he gets up there, he's a pop for 30 bombs, but it really hurts you. Because his defense is actually not bad, right? We tend to think of these big guys as like lumbering. He's actually a pretty good defender and can play every single day, which really makes the like that's what I mean. It's the extremes just absolutely punish you. We've learned this about batting average, something I've learned getting into the high stakes arena. Not all batting averages are created equal. You really have to weigh them for the volume. It really matters, right? Freeman's high batting average at 700 PAs matters. That's why we love Simeon so much. This guy could do the opposite. And so if you get 700 PAs of 200 from Gallo, you need 700 PAs of 400 to get a 300 hitter. Like, no, nah, man, it's just not going to happen. It's just, it's not worth it. I think you nailed it. You might get Thursday through Sunday streaming opportunities 
where he's a pop to hit literally five home runs on any hot weekend, but you could have to eat, you know, a zero seven five batting sure. average. So yuck. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. We got a couple more news items to get to. Uh, we are going to take a quick break and we'll get right to it. All right, John, another, I mean, stop me if you've heard this before, but the Dodgers signed another player this offseason of note. Uh, James Paxton is the newest player to sign a contract with the Dodgers. Uh, obviously, Paxton has his own longstanding history with injuries, with, you know, whatever. Uh, can the Dodgers, by way of possibly Dodgeritis, as we call it, uh, by giving him extra rest, maybe at breaks between starts or whatever. Can they keep him healthy all season for um, to make him valuable? Or does that make him less valuable in a fantasy realm, knowing that you're never going to get a, you know, possibly never get a two-start week out of him? Um, it, you almost you'd rather know he was going on the IL so you could feel more comfortable dropping him. What's your take on Paxton in, in L.A.? I think as far as usage goes, I I think that's how it will play out. But given the potential upside, not only the underlying metrics, the decent stuff, and the great contextual environment, if you can get him as a late pick, this is the kind of guy that could really score for you again. You you know, if you get eight, 12 great starts out of him and maybe blow something or something explodes on him and you just have to say sayonara, which is fine. But I can't believe you guys actually got me into this because I kind of wrote right off the bat, I was kind of answering, John, do you think there's anything in Paxton? I was like, nah, man, I think the sun has kind of set on that. Now I'm not so sure. Just check it out. Do it quick. So last year, a 382 expected ERA, 24.5K to only eight walk, 13 swinging strike, 28 whiff, 43 ground ball, 300X Woba. Again, you know, we do a lot of the handicapping stuff. I like to use bins so we don't overweigh a single stat. That's like working your way pretty nicely across. Like those are all pretty palatable. So I went from the telescope to the microscope. And man, there's actually a lot to be encouraged about. Check it out. The so you figure it's it's probably at 40% of his arsenal when you add it all together, all the all speed stuff. So the curve, the cutter, and the changeup. Check this out. We're phenomenal, right? So downright phenomenal stuff last year. Uh, between those three pitches, so again, 42% use figure. None of them had an expected slug over 300, and none of them had a whiff rate under 33. Now, again, I do a lot of this kind of individualized pitching stuff. You know, pitcher list, boys, I know that you know the deal, that we need to be looking at arsenals and kind of compartmentalize them sometimes. And I think that's a good way to look for late darts with pitchers. Does he have one money pitcher? Does he have two money pitchers? He's got three really good pitches. That the fastball doesn't have to be good when you have three good secondaries. So I'm not trying to hear pump James Paxton, but the ceiling is very high for him. Now, we don't know what we're going to get. Granted, you may get that, the heartbreaking uh, Kershaw. He has the little baseball next to his name for Wednesday against Oakland. You're super excited. Then the news blurb comes out that he's sitting that day. You know, he's going to get skipped. So zeros might be in the cards. But for a reserve round pick, I think you could do worse. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. It's, the talent is not really in question with Paxton. It's all it's simply health, and now it's really about the usage of how the Dodgers are going to utilize him throughout the course of the season. Not only from the Dodgers' history point, but also you take that into combination with how Paxton has shown uh, his ability to stay on on the mound throughout the course of a long period of time as well. Uh, I mean, yeah, Kevin. I mean. Same question, really, when it comes down to it, is the is the fact that he's on the Dodgers a good thing or a bad thing? Like, obviously, they're a good team. They're, he's going to put when he's on the mound, he's going to put himself in a position to 
win games. We're always chasing wins in that in that scenario. Uh, you know, he's probably going to do well, but is the volume the or the potential lack of volume enough of a t- deterrent? I don't think so. And if you asked me this question about five different pitchers, I'd probably have five different answers. But I think this is a good thing in James James Paxton's case. Uh, being monitored, limiting his innings on a per-start basis and then a per-week basis or length between starts basis, I think is a good thing. I mean, the only time he's been bad in his entire career is when he's been hurt and, and it, when you're it's funny you 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 look up his his season logs and it, and everything looks wonderful except for 2020 and 2021 and that was less than 22 innings combined in those two seasons right we didn't see him in 2022 we saw him come back last year, give us almost 100 innings. A 4-5 ERA is not spectacular, but I I don't know if we could have expected any more from him. So I like the fact that the, the projections are, are giving him uh, a nice bump in innings over the 96 he got in 2023 and some improvement uh, uh, pretty much across the board of what he did. And now his uh, second and possibly first full season back, uh, from basically a three-season-long injury, right? So, yeah, uh, like John said, where he's being drafted, this could be a uh, a very helpful player on our teams. Yeah, ADP in the nine OCs or online championships that have completed, those are those 12-teamers on NFBC at 346. His min was just set recently at 286. But in general, this uh, this news has not maybe it hasn't had enough time to like really bake in there to make a make a dent in his ADP. But uh, a couple picks already have are right around there as well. So it's not really impacting uh, where you're getting them. So you're still getting them, you know, post 300 uh, in most situations currently. Um, all right. Uh, Kevin, we got another signing kind of scratched a lot of heads after seeing this, uh, especially in the pitch pitcherless discord. We got a lot of people questioning why this, this thing, but then we realized what happened. Uh, our, our oldest Chapman, he signs a one-year deal with the Pittsburgh pirates. And it's pretty obvious. I think on the surface that the Pittsburgh pirates and any other team, uh, noticed what the return was for him in Kansas City. Um, and Pittsburgh Pirates are now looking for their version of Cole Reagans at the deadline. Uh, but in order to do that, in theory, with a reliever, you got to put him on a pedestal. You got to put him in the spotlight. You got to put him in high value, um, you know, high value situations, whether that be eighth inning or possibly ninth inning. Um, are the Pirates going to do that, Kevin, with Chapman? and in turn eat away at, at Bednar's value at the end of games, depending on how many games the Pirates actually, you know, put the, how many wins the, the, uh, sorry, the, the Pirates put together. No, I think, I, I think this is, as long as he performs, this works out exactly like they're planning. It, it doesn't have to be the ninth, ninth inning that he's throwing. It wasn't in Kansas City. It was the fact that he was going out there in the seventh and eighth inning and throwing his 104 miles per hour that, that we'd mm-hmm. seen in the past and it, and it had gone away. We see that again and they'll get a return. Uh, it might not be Cole Reagans. I think the Royals are very fortunate for, for as well as Cole Reagans has worked out, 
but that, that wasn't the first time in his career a role this Chapman has has brought somebody value at the trade deadline and I don't think it was the last either I think the the Pirates uh as long as he stays healthy and is uh at least touching triple digits once in a while they will get a return like they're hoping for with this signing yeah, this has really less to do with the Pirates expecting to trade him. It's just this is what's just what happens with Chapman. He gets traded. He's been traded three times already in his career. I, if you forget that the Reds traded him to the Yankees, then the Yankees traded him to the Cubs. They got Gleyber Torres for him in that deal. Not really. Nobody that the Yankees got for him in that deal, or sorry, the Reds got and for him in that deal, him. worked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the Yankees just brought him back. Uh, and then obviously the Rangers just uh, acquired him from Kansas City with the Cole Reagans on the other end of that. Uh, so there definitely has been value on the other side. Uh, I mean, John, do you see this being of value to the Pirates? Um, maybe he doesn't work his way into the ninth inning for his fantasy, but like, can he return to at least the same kind of form we saw him in Kansas City to warrant other teams, uh, contenders being interested in him? Yeah, absolutely. You know, in today's day and age with you know hawkeye stack cash track man like if you excel we're gonna we're gonna find you right we're, there's someone out there we're gonna we're gonna know the antennas pop up like you said kevin's guys out there throwing you know if he's out there throwing 102 103 and probably most importantly we see him towards the the lower end of his walk spectrum which is like 13 to 14 percent and sure. it's not like 17 to 18 percent we know the swinging <laughs> the swinging miss stuff is always incredible i think last season he had right okay so he had three pitches with a better than 43 percent whiff rate the four seamer was lagging at 37 listen to get 37 percent whiff rate on your four seamer is unbelievable he's still pumping velo he's got excellent shape on it you know so he should be fine i've done the chapman experience as a hardcore yankee fan it's very exciting <laughs> on both ends, right? Both ends are really exciting. The winds are really exciting. The highs are really high. The lows are really, really low. You wonder sometimes how he's a pitcher in the major leagues. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, what? You, you literally eight, nine, 12 pitchers in a row that are, he missed by a foot. He missed by more than a foot. Maybe guys are ducking like, you know, Ricky Vaughn stuff. But <laughs> if you lighten up the gun, you're getting critical outs. People are going to be paying attention. I guess the Pirates didn't like what they saw in the starting pitcher market. And not to keep bringing up my Yankees, but there is something to shortening the game, right? Shortening the game. If you only have pitchers that can get you five, you kind of work the other way. And Bednar, somebody I just wrote up yesterday, man, is he? he's really good. He's, he's good really good. Shot. I don't think he gets yep. the love he deserves because of the bad team bias that the Pirates kind of carry over. So if Bednar is locking down the ninth, Chapman is no slouch in the eighth. All of a sudden, the Pirates are kind of working their way towards viability again. The, the starting rotation is kind of a disaster right now. Romanzi yeah. Contreras, looking at you, man. Looking at you, man. We'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah, I mean, I, we see this every year, right? We see the this this work that a reliever has to do in order to bring up his value. And then somebody, a bad team signs him just for the intention of trading him at the deadline. And at least that's the the story that we tell ourselves. It makes me wonder like, why don't the really good teams just do that as well? If they're going to end up trading for the guy that's been proven to work, just take the risk on them early. And if they don't work out, then, you know, DFA them or whatever. Uh, and then, 
instead of having to pay the market price on these relievers because that market price is going up. That market price has been, I mean, I, I keep go, going back to it, but obviously the Cole Reagans one, maybe they didn't expect it to work out, uh, his talent level to work out the way it has. But in, in you know, hindsight 2020, it did. It worked out great. And we've seen a lot of other relievers uh, really bring in some top-level talent, um, whether it be in the offseason or at the deadline. Uh, so I mean, it makes me think that you know maybe this is an investment that could be made by teams uh, rather than it, monetarily, rather than with talent. We, we've seen Seattle do this recently, right? Uh, they they traded Paul Sewell at the deadline last season when they were Eric in Swanson, contention. Sure. One season after they did it with Kendall Graveman when he was their closer at the deadline. And and and, and I bring this back. I know we see all of the the different things that uh you know it's 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 based on a true story, but it's a movie. There's a lot of things not true, like but with with all the moneyball things, right? But I read the book and of course the, the movie's great if you're watching it for entertainment, not information, right? But uh this was one of Billy Bean's philosophies, right? This this was a big market inefficiency is closers. You can get more for a closer than they're worth and you can develop them in your own system. Trade them all right? <laughs> Develop, keep, keep pumping them out and putting them in your lineup and getting what you can for the ones that have made a name for themselves. And that's kind of what you were alluding to. I think Adams and, and Seattle's been doing it the last couple of years. Yeah. All right. Last signing here. Then yeah, we'll get into it, John. We got one of the biggest names that we're talking about tonight. Uh, Reese Hoskins, he signs a two year deal um, with the Milwaukee Brewers. So the, you know, the NL Central getting a little bit more pop here. Uh, th- this wasn't a spot that I expected Hoskins to go to. Um, I'm not sure exactly where I expected him to go to, but like, you know, Gallo in Washington, like this isn't, this is definitely not the worst place Hoskins in his uh, profile could have landed. Uh, what's your, what's your opinion on Hoskins in Milwaukee? Well, I, I think I'm maturing as a fantasy baseball player because Hoskins on every single team in every single format that I played so far, like best ball underdog included, guys totally forgotten as an afterthought. This happens with the unsigned free agent sometimes with guys that are really good. And then I guess like the blank space in the ledger is never too much fun to see. But I mean, it's all there. He's a really sure. good baseball player, right? I mean, so he's had 660 PAs three times. He's hit 27 home runs four times, career 13% walk, 353 OBP, 12% barrel, 126 WRC+. plus. I was mentioning the 600 PA paces. So for a career, 242, 82 runs, 84 ribs, 31 homers, and three steals. Milwaukee has a 109 home run park factor for righties above average. So I think it's going to be fine. That's not and terrible. I think no. the value is probably gone, right? This, right, and was that that was again that was kind of the thesis of the case was I'm going to draft Reese Hoskins before people realize that he's a baseball player still, and now that they know <laughs> when he's going to Milwaukee, he probably jumps whatever fifty picks now or eighty picks. Like that's just how these things happen. We were talking about Stevenson earlier. I mean, he jumped like two hundred picks overnight. It just happened, yeah. right? It just happens, right? You kind of the players then become part of the consciousness, right? Part of the vernacular, and that's it. So. That may, I don't want to say it's the end of my drafting Hoskins, but I didn't want to. I don't want to reach for him, but that's a good spot. 
right? He's going to play every day, right? He's going to get all the playing time he can handle. And again, a positive environment. I'd love to see him against those cardinal lefties. Like, yeah, I think the wheels are pointing up for him. Yeah, uh, you know, at ADP in those OCs at two o four. That I mean, we talked about this all the time. Whether he got signed in a good park, bad park, doesn't matter. The fact that he got signed, that's going to bring his ADP up, even in the sh- at least even in the short term. Uh, right now, he's being in for first baseman. He's being sandwiched between Isaac Paredes and Nathaniel Lau. I was hoping uh, for Colorado, man. Right? Isn't well, yeah, you always doing? hope you, the this CJ Crone effect. Yep. yep. <laughs> Remember, remember I, I think we all remember when CJ Grohn signed and all of a sudden he he got the Robert he got the Stevenson effect. He went up 200 picks just because of the place he signed. I'll do one worse. I was drifting Daniel Murphy. Remember that one? Oh, of oh course. yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's gonna hit 400 there, right? He was. Yeah. Wait, that, yeah. did he, he did right. I will just don't don't. Answer yeah, that. yeah. Don't look it up. Don't look it up. <laughs> yeah, it definitely happened. Uh, but yeah, Kevin, is this uh, yeah, not, not to, to mention the fact that you know, John, you alluded to it like not having anything on the ledger, like not playing. Uh, <laughs> so he's, you know, he got the zeros across the board. Was this literally just an after afterthought? Should he have been going higher than 200 regardless of where he was going to go? And are you in at, you know, what will end up being the, the new price? I'm assuming you got to put them at least closer to the Yandy Diaz range. We're talking ADP of 122 for, for Diaz at the moment. Uh, over under on Diaz when it comes to Hoskins. Ooh, on whether I take him there or whether he's going to go that high. I'm going to say with you. I'm, I'm uh, going to single you out. Yeah. Uh, so, I I love where he's been going. Like John, uh, have him on multiple teams. Maybe not every team like John does. Wish I did. I mean, this is a great spot for him. And we've been naming some of these other first basemen going around that spot. Um, and I, but we, we don't know, right. With a full season, not playing that that's the question mark. So I'm not so sure he jumps that high Adam. Uh, I'm looking at draft champions since, uh, the beginning of the month. So 24 days worth of those, he was going at about two Oh nine. So just a, a handful of spots later than, than the OCs you brought up. His most recent draft, he did go 185. Hard to know if the signing had been made at that time or if the signing was announced and then he got drafted at 185. Uh, that There's actually probably a pretty good chance that that is the case. Uh, but he'd actually been dropping a little bit. And maybe that was because longer and longer not signing after missing out a year, people start getting questioning the health all over again. But uh, he's going to have to jump a long ways, I think, for me to uh, completely not be interested. Uh, I don't. I don't think he's getting all the way to Yandy in in the one twenties. I mean, there's a handful of first basemen uh, between there. I, I don't think he gets ahead of Josh Naylor at one twenty eight, Spencer Torkelson at one twenty four. Again, this is DC's since the beginning of January. I'm looking at. Uh, Christian and Carcione Strand. Now, early in the season, I was drafting him. Now, the the Reds are, are more crowded than they were to even start draft season. So, this might be my point. I, I, I may take Hoskins right here in the 150 range rather than in Carcione Strand, who I had earlier in draft season. Uh, 
the, but I, I don't see him jumping much higher than that after missing an entire year. Um, I, I'm willing to take the chance. Uh, he was, he was just so good. I think, I don't think people realize how good he was double digit walk rate every season of his career strikeout rates for a power hitter 25.1 percent the highest strikeout rate of his career um you know 30 30 home runs the last time we saw him projected for 30 home runs by steamer uh going into 2024 everything looks great he shouldn't be going this late the only reason he is is we didn't see him play at all last season and i think it's worth taking a chance here yeah, I've got to keep in mind as well the strategy as far as like how guys jump up um, and down, especially in 12 teamers at this point in the draft. Not that it doesn't matter, but it, it definitely makes less of an impact at this point with the depth of first base in, in these drafts, especially in a 12 teamer. Um, you're not drafting Hoskins. You're not drafting any of the guys you just mentioned as your starting first baseman in most scenarios. You're, by this time, they're filling in your corner infielders just because there's so there's at least 12, if not 15, other first basemen going ahead of him at them um, on a regular basis. So, uh, also something to consider: like, are you stretching to grab Hoskins or anybody else of that matter to fill your corner infield slot um, at that point in the draft? Or are you, you know, taking the risk, or are you just chancing the fact that he'll stay where he's been going, because everybody in your draft room is really kind of thinking the, the exact same thing. So you still might be able to get that value where he's been going. He might not jump up like you like you suggest, Kevin, based on the fact that there there's a lot of other options that you sh- that you're considering at that point in the draft. All right, guys, we are going to get into the crux of the episode here where we talk about the power categories. Of course, we're talking home runs and RBI specifically, uh, and we're going to get into the strategy of that and then talk about some players that we will be targeting late in drafts uh, right after this break. All right, of course, you're still listening to On The Wire. Uh, I am Adam Howe, joined as always by Kevin Hastings, and this week we are lucky enough to have John Leguiza with us to talk power. We are talking power, uh, home runs, RBIs, and John. We got to we got to talk a little bit about strategy as we talk about how we're drafting for the category. Of course, there's a lot of different ways people draft. You draft by you know position scarcity. You can think about uh, you know just how you want to build your team, but ultimately you're still trying to you're still trying to get in the top third or you know top of. 10 categories in a standard five by five league. So you have to, you have to be considering what the players are going to be presenting to you throughout the course of the season. Um, how are you targeting home runs? RBS? How much, how much emphasis are you putting on these categories going into 2024, maybe in comparison to what you might've seen from 2023 or 2022. Um, and what's kind of like your prediction as far as how important these categories are going to be going into this new, new season. Yeah. I think home runs are everything because they're probably the hardest, especially ones that come with a decent batting average or the hardest thing to find mid season. A lot of the really good players that I know uh, kind of had a, again, a running theme last year that power was really hard to find and really kind of tough to stream. So you want to get it early and you want to get it with as quality a bat as possible. Again, you don't want to need 
30 home runs that come with a 195 batting average over 600 plate appearances, which has then become a total boon. A lot of times the guys are on a bad team, so the counting stats are not even there. Right? Like Gallo or Snow are the kind of guys that hit 35 home runs. It's going to be 48 RBIs. You know what I mean? Like, I think Soto did that not long ago, right? But anyway, right? But the Soto with the wrapping up with the Nats, didn't he do something like that? Anyway, so you want it early, you want it often in a good environment and attached to batting average. I know that's not probably reinventing anything for anyone, but. I think where it's changed for me is that dip that we mentioned in overall power. Now it bounced back a little bit. 55,868 home runs last year. That was pretty much back to the 2021 level of 59.44. So pretty much the same thing. But that was more than 2018 where we had 55.85, but way less than 2019, 67.76. There were 13% more home runs in 2019 and 2023. So I'm still looking at it as we're still off of the peak, right? We're coming off the peak. And I think we're coming off the bottom, which tells me that where we're at last year and now is probably what we want to expect. So again, it's not a rabbit ball, but it's not a lead ball. So I think you need power. Again, it comes with average. And the way I'm getting to it, I alluded to before is I'm really stressing pulled elevated batted ball events. I think that's kind of the way to get there. And you know, for all the stats that we have, that's not one that's like really accessible. I put it on my sheet. I'm going to be printing it soon. I'll come out with all my stuff when I do my big hullabaloo. But I've noticed, gentlemen, that's answered some of my power questions. Like when you go, man, how did this guy you know, came up with 15 home runs out of nowhere? Like some of the middle infielders, it's funny, that was a key to my what ended up being big success because I won my way into the um, main event was identifying. Power floors in middle infielders last year. That was like Tyro Estrada. Again, heavy pull fly ball rate. So that kind of validated where some people said, ah, I didn't really see. I don't see the bow rate. Bow rate, we already mentioned. One way they could be misleading. Another way could be if you don't pull them. Right? So you could be barreling the ball towards center field. Guys, I wish I had. I don't have the numbers on me, but we do know production on barrel has dropped year over year, which is why you know my the inimitable – Alex Chamberlain gave us blast rate, right? Which makes mm-hmm. sense. Blast, again, if anyone is unfamiliar, it simply put as the ideal subset of barrels, right? The barrel of barrels, the Cadillac of barrels, if you're from my neck of the woods. But the idea being, because we were seeing batting average slugging and the home run rates come down on barrels themselves, that not to say they're no longer desirable, but what Alex's inference was, and I think when he infers something, I basically am just yeah, it's probably right was that, was we had Ray Seams and extra drag hurting balls that hung in the air. And basically what he was saying is balls that were on the upper spectrum of launch angle were probably erroneously binned as barrels looking back at like 2019 and 2020, right? That if we were to redo barrels, the if it's to be, truly be considered ideal, that spray would probably be a little bit more narrow because we know those balls that have whatever it is, a 30 degree launch angle, unless you get them at 108 or 110, they have like a zero batting average, right? Cause you don't, they don't do anything. They either go out or you're out, right? And they very rarely do you get on with errors. You can't rely on that stuff. So, you know, in 7 million words or less power is really important, but I don't think it's as simple as just the, the most obvious stats, right? So I've been trying to not say pivot, but just maybe take a different perspective on how to dissect where I'm looking for power. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I love the idea of like obviously looking at that, you know, the pull rate and where they're and you know, where they're getting their barrels if they're you know pulling it or pushing the ball or what have you. Um, and I've got to take the opportunity here to call back out our guest from last week, Kyle Bland, who's put together some great visuals that kind of show that. So if you're not, I mean, obviously you can look at numbers all day long, but if you are more of a visual learner, uh, those data visualizations that he's put together and so many, obviously there's a whole lot of them that exist all over the place, uh, especially embedded in different articles and what have you. Uh, but definitely keep, take a look at what Kyle, he's posted a bunch of them, especially when it comes to uh, pull rates and, and, and where, like what kind of balls are being pulled rather than just pull rates in general. Like, Bull rates on the surface can be useful, but you know, to your point, John, it really matters of what kind of ball they are hitting. Um, you know, we talk about this all the time with hard hit rates, like, oh, well, if you're hitting the ball hard all the time, but you're hitting it into the ground, maybe not the best, uh, maybe it doesn't always equate to what we're looking for. Um, Kevin, I mean, we talked, I was looking at our notes from last year, um, and re- really hearkening on the fact that. We're a, a lot of us were worried that we were going to see more of a dead ball going into 2024, or at least a ball that was going to be softened a little bit, uh, just based on you know things we had heard. Obviously, I'll, you know whatever gate you want to call it from the year prior. Um, obviously, as, as John pointed out, the number of home runs that we saw didn't really happen. Um, we didn't see 2019 rates, but obviously, home runs were still uh, a major factor. Um, are you? Are you concerned about that kind of a change going into 2024? And if so, like, or if not, how are you focusing on drafting early power? Is power, uh, uh, our home runs and RBIs something that you really want to make sure that you're locking in early in drafts, whether it be 12s or 15s? Um, or obviously, in your first round, you want somebody that's going to be five categories if you're going hitter, obviously. But if you need to sway yourself in either direction, maybe on your second or third hitter, uh, are are you focusing more on making sure that you're top heavy on on the power categories, or are you still going more kind of rounded out player? No, I I don't think I'm like concentrating on power any more than than I have in the past. I know over the past couple of seasons, through throughout the seasons, we've heard people talking about there not being as much power available on the wire as we're used to. I I really thought that changed a little bit last season and we did see more. And it and, and it's a lot of what John was talking about, pulled fly balls. And I think this is something we can actually look for ahead of time, right? Um uh it was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure he was. It was Tommy Pham he talked about last year. Told him he knew he needed to pull the ball more. I think that's part of what we saw in the numbers in 2023. The players know. The players know that going oppo for a 340 foot home run it isn't going to cut it like it did in 2019 and even 2021. And now they're emphasizing pulling fly balls and the players are trying and this is something that we can monitor uh like john loves his rolling charts scott chu loves his rolling charts you look at rolling charts and see players improving on pulling fly balls then 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 that's a that's something that i'm gonna pay more attention to somebody has a hot week i'm gonna think it's more than just a hot streak this is the change we always talk about that right if there's a a a concrete change a player has made when things are going right, then it means more to us. Yes. Pulling fly balls is something I'm really looking for in 2024. 
Dude, that's a weekly column that just wrote itself. Hot, hot week or hot streak? Is that a thing? Wait, you're sounds, a like branding, it's, it's, sounds like it's going to be soon. Yeah, you're a branding <laughs> wizard. That's freaking brilliant. Did you just come up with that? Can I? Can I have? Can I do that? That was really, that was really sharp stuff. No, but it's true. I think the entire market is coming around to it. Like, and we'd like to hang our hats as you know, analysts and avid players. Be, to be first, right? I mean, if we're not first, we're probably doing something wrong, right? There's a lot of people that spend a lot less time on this. But I'm telling you, that really is not to keep mentioning my own stuff. I hate doing this, but it was the truth. The I wish I had it on hand the percentage. That's the thing I meant to mention with the openness. It wasn't just like we know, oh, we know pull is mm-hmm. great and it's anecdotal. The percentage of pulled home runs climbed throughout the overall decline. Right. And that was one of the best kind of pieces of empirical evidence that I found was just as a market share, they continue right. to increase. Now, some of that, remember, is, is like Kevin saying, this is being identified. This is being worked on. These, This is a legitimate approach, which is why also when you fast forward to the, the people smarter than me have determined that it is a pretty sticky stat. So you want to be look, you want to be looking at this because, again, I mean, listen guys talk about it directly. I mean, Bregman and Altuve, they talk, you just listen to them. They literally talk about it. No, wasn't interested in it. Uh, they'll even ask him, man, you took a good cold strike three. It was a bit out of character. It was like, it was out of half. And I, I can't pull that, you know? So like, they'll actually risk. So let it go. Look, yep. Looking at the K because it's, it's, it's part of the approach. It's the, it's the trigger warning, right? When they see that ball coming in, they're getting ready to, to rip it. So yeah, pull for me, that is the, Best place to find power that maybe hasn't been, I don't want to say discovered yet, right? But it's a good place to look. No, I mean, I that, mean uh, the, the success story from 2023, uh, uh, what we're talking about looking at is Isak Paredes, right? A lot of people were talking about the, the potential he had, and he had started to do it in 2022. He was in a horrible ballpark in Detroit for barrels, and a lot of people saw coming what we saw last season. Yep. I think we'll see more of that. That it's funny you mentioned that again. That was, I, the, I had a lot of hits because that worked. But I'm actually going to mention somebody that is maybe as I suck Paredes as I suck Paredes is. And I, I can't wait. To, I can't wait to get to when we get to the outfield. <laughs> nice. Well, it's one, one more thing. I really want to make sure that, we're talking a little bit about how you guys are drafting it. Like, I understand what we're looking for now and I appreciate that even more so. Um, but I, I talked about this at the, uh, just a second ago, obviously in your first round, if this year, more than almost any other year, if you're drafting a hitter in the first round, you're probably getting a five category guy. And there's like one or two exceptions to that rule. Uh, John, like how, how much power do you have to, get out of somebody to ignore the fact that they're not giving you any speed um if if that is the case to bump them up over somebody who's going to be a five category contributor early in i'm trying to think of the lightest the lightest power projection in the first round is probably maybe trey turner right turner's probably i don't know if somebody is probably projected like between 25 and 30 so i think i don't think you can go wrong because i think where you can go wrong, and again, something that, man, I, it's not like I had this perfect season, but I just had a couple of the macro points right, and again, it, it paid off was you need to secure power, and one way to do that was almost to adopt my old speed strategy, which is no zeros, no zeros allowed, right? So you, you had to avoid 
the speed only guys, which then meant, all right, I need to be stacking speed. But one of the other things I hit on with speed inference was I thought there might be guys that were really able to truly separate from the pack. That even if everybody moved up a few, there would be people that went off. And I kind of made the sure. exception on the power for Nico Horner, which was a huge hit because he stole so many bases. But going into this year with his adjust, that was a price thing. His adjust the price, that's a player I'm going to be avoiding because I think those players are going to get you in trouble this year. I'm a little worried about C.J. Abrams also. You know, again, they are those kind of guys that can get you to 40 bags, but I feel like you're really losing out there because I don't think, especially in Horner's case, I, I he might go under 10. You know, like I, I just did his write-up, and I'm I'm under the projections. None of the underlying stuff matches, and I believe, man, I, sh- I should be quoting blind, but I'm pretty sure he had a 100% home run to power rate. And, I mean, it's just – it's very hard to ask for that to repeat. Yeah. Right? I think he had nine barrels and nine homers, or it might have been 10 and 10. Either way, it's not very good. And, yeah, and if the- that runs to the standard, right back to the mean, that's six home runs. And yeah, that's and not the, very good, right? That can get you. The poster child for right now, this year, going into 2024 draft, obviously, is Estuary Ruiz, um, who you expect to maybe hit five for home runs. Obviously, he's going yeah, to he's going to carry your team in stolen bases. Uh, we get that. But is that la- complete lack of power, Kevin? Like we talked about Ruiz a couple of episodes ago. Um, ADP in these OCs at just under 100. So he's a top 100 player in most drafts, uh, the total lack of power, regardless of how he could carry you in that one, maybe two other categories uh, worth considering, or are these rabbits completely off your board? I mean, Story Rees might have playing time concerns. So at the very least, I need batting average, which I don't know. Right, then you're just getting into this trouble. And then there's a separate strategic issue with, if you have all your eggs in one steel basket and that goes south, it's not going to go south, there's no one there to pick up the pieces. Kevin, you feel any differently? Yeah, exactly. On that? That's why, that's why Ruiz was, in my opinion, was a great pick last year, and I had him on several teams. And on uh, some of those teams, for the second half of the season, I wasn't even playing him. I didn't need to take that hit in batting average anymore. I didn't need to take the lack of power anymore. I'd already gotten out of him what I needed for where I drafted him. I, you know, he's this is what eighth, ninth round in a 15 team league right now. They had, that's not where I draft a guy like that. Yeah. It's just funny as I'm just scrolling through the CDP board, of course you see the antithesis between each other and Kyle Schwarber going at 88 and Israel Ruiz going at 97. Um, in a lot of cases, they're going in the same round in a 15 teamer. Uh, and really obviously depends on how you've built the first couple of rounds of your, of your roster. Uh, not to take anything away from Schwarber, he's not a zero on the base pass. He's obviously not a 60 plus guy like Ruiz is, um, but he's going to get you, you know, in theory, he'll get you the 40 plus home runs uh, where, you know, give you the same amount of stolen bases as Ruiz will probably give you home runs on the other side. Uh, so obviously it matters on what kind of emphasis you did put on the first couple uh, cu- couple picks of your lineup. Um, all right. Well, I want to get to I want to get to some of these players that you guys are alluding to. John, you're really excited to get to outfield, so I'm glad outfield is last uh, on this list. Uh, <laughs> so we will get to that. We're going to go corner infield, middle infield, and then outfield right after this quick break. 
All right, we are going to talk about how you can fill that those power categories, not at the top of your draft, but at the very end of your draft. And there's a lot of different ways in which you can take uh, your team with those final five, maybe even seven picks of your Fab League drafts. Of course, we are focusing on Fab League drafts. Of course, these kind of picks can go south real quick. You can dump them. You know, spend up spend up some fab early on in the season to replace them, uh, but that's the point of drafting a fab league. Now is that you can take those risks and you can fix those mistakes um, on on the wire. And I had a you know second time I had to hear the name of the show on the show, uh, so I had to throw that in there as well. Um, so the rules are were, were pretty simple. Uh, I want you guys to take a look at ADP, preferably um, ADP of our online championships. There are nine that have been completed so far. So when we're, at, uh, when we're referencing ADP here, um, it's going to be a little bit off because n- not all these guys that you guys are going to mention have been drafted in all of all nine picks. So for Kevin, your first one hasn't been drafted yet, um, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so, Keep take the grain take any ADP numbers that we say with a grain of salt, uh, and what we're looking at players that at least have a calculated ADP of 325 or less. Again, this is a 12 team league, so these are guys that you can pretty much get in the final round or two of of most of those drafts. And these are darts that you're throwing that can bring you power to your to your team if a you feel like you didn't really build well enough in those categories throughout your draft or you're just throwing dart and you want to see if something will hit and that's the direction that you want to end up going so uh john you're the guest i'm going to let you start us off here in corner infield so obviously there's got to be a player that's uh eligible at first base and or third base uh who can get you some power late in your draft yeah give me mariners first baseman last year major disappointment ty france uh, you know, it checks a lot of boxes. Again, the price is is great. Steamer projection for 259 and 18 homers. So if you're just looking for lead power, Steamer thinks he's going to hit 18, which is pretty good. He's at ADP 341, if I didn't mention that. So he plays every single day. Bats mostly in the top third. I have, you know, he's he's got a very aggressive profile, 53% swing, 75 zone swing, which is really good. Paired with a, you know, elite zone contact rate, it's often well above 90 so he's getting to stick on the ball, 113 max EV, the 43% pull. I mentioned he has a 15% pulled fly ball to line drive. That was last year. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. He he just did not convert, right? So he had 98 pulled fly ball line drives, which, again, is very good. He only had seven home runs. So that's about like you know 8% or whatever. The MLB average is probably a little bit over 17. So – just simple math. We probably could have just – you probably could have doubled that. It was 7.1% pull fly ball. He had seven. He probably should have had at least another seven. And if he didn't hit 12, he hit 19. He definitely wouldn't be going and pick 325. So just like simple regression, he could run back the same season that we kind of like held our nose to. And I, I think there's a 20-homer bat there. Little little disappointing in just some like some of the degradation, right, you know, once you're getting like two, three years ago, even though he's only 29, he's not old, the, any kind of like power that we would have wanted to suck our teeth into feels a little like long gone, like I said, at least two or three years ago. But at 29, full playing time, and if we just get – if he just runs decent, I think he's a 
you know, 20 homer bat. Kind of the, you know, 260 batting average, which is pretty good, man. And that Matt, that lineup should be good also. I don't think he's going to steal many bases. That's not really what we're talking about. But just in general, I think he's a, a really fine CI pick for Lee. Yeah, and we talked about him a lot on our last show when we were talking about PLV projections. So, of course, I'm going to throw that out there. 18 home runs, 75 RBIs projected uh, by the pitcher list projections. No, all, all around, like, rounded play as well. So, obviously, we're just talking about power here, um, but not somebody that's going to hurt you anywhere. Uh, 79 runs as, as a projection, 267 uh, repeated batting average here uh, on based on these projections alone. Uh, so I, I like the call out there for sure. And, uh, you know, if, at least based on value, he should be going a lot earlier in drafts and you can still get him as your final pick. Um, if you want to round that out, Ke- uh, Kevin, uh, fill out your corner infielder with somebody who can give you a little bit of extra power. Yeah. I like uh, JD Davis in this spot. He's going after pick 400 has not been drafted in any of the 10 online championships that have been completed as of uh, our recording. He's projected for mid to upper teens home runs and about 500 plate appearances. And I think he may be in, in, in line for a little more playing time than what he's being projected for. As of right now, I I think in this uh, San Francisco Giants lineup, he looks to play nearly every day. Uh, And in the middle third of the lineup, uh, I think he's going to play most days. I do not think he's a 150-game player, but I could see him getting more 130, 140 games in the 120-something he's being projected for. That gets him to... 20 home runs like John, just like John was talking with Ty France. And we're talking after pick 400 here. Um, and, and we've seen it. We've, we've seen JD Davis give us flashes in the past. As long as that, that strikeout rate, uh, it, it can borderline on that 30%. It's even been above 30%. That's when he's been bad. Keeps it when he keeps it under. He's got that double digit walk rate. And, and and then we see much better results out of J.D. Davis. I think that's all we're looking for. Uh, keep an eye on it. Uh, spring training early in the season, playing every day, keeping that strikeout rate in check, not low. We know it's not going to be low. Uh, I, I see good things from J.D. Davis. Yeah, these are the type of players that if you can hit on that playing time theory um, late in the draft, if nothing else, they can just volume their way up way above what you're seeing in projections, uh, what you're seeing from previous seasons as well. So like that call out there. And I also like the fact that obviously an online championship has finished up while we were recording because I, <laughs> I put this ADP up at the beginning of the show and I swear it was nine. And then I hit refresh and I see that you're right. There's been 10 completed drafts. So that's nice. It gives us a little bit stronger of a data point here. Uh, Kevin, we'll stick with you and go into the middle infield. Uh, if nothing else, just so you can continue saying the word Davis, uh, who you got to fill out your middle infield that can give you some power. Yeah. From JD Davis to Davis Schneider. Um, I, I may like Davis Schneider more than I should. But I, I think he looks like the everyday second baseman in Toronto. A lot of similar things that we've talked about with Ty France and JD Davis. Yeah, he 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 doesn't make the greatest contact. When he does make contact, the quality is awesome. So once again, well after pick four hundred, 
Now that there has been these 10 online championships drafted, he's only been picked in one of them, so he is going to be available. Whether you're looking at him because you like their schedule and matchups for the first couple of weeks of the season, or whether you like him uh, to, to keep an eye on for when the the schedule is more favorable, he's probably going to be available. He's going to be out there. These are the kinds of players I love. Guys I know are going to be sitting there waiting for me when I need them. And uh, I, I, like I said, I probably like uh, Davis Schneider a little more than I should. I'm probably higher on him than than most, but I, I think he's in for close to everyday playing time. I, I think that that might be true at the beginning of the season. I do worry about the fact that, you know, the Blue Jays have some young guys coming up that could easily fill in that second base hole if Schneider does, you know, show that very strict platoon splits that uh, obviously he became almost quite famous for uh, when he got called up last year. Uh, so as an as a late draft pick for your early parts of your season, um, I like this a lot. I, I obviously am not. I'm not as confident that you know he'll stick in that position throughout the course of the season. But that's not what that's not what these picks are for. These picks are literally Fab picks. Uh, you know, before Fab actually starts, um, unless you really hit gold and you're you know you you can run away with it. Uh, John, I mean, any any comments on Schneider, and then you can go right into who you would be filling in your middle infield if you needed extra power. Yep, Schneider, freakish pull profile, man. You know, again, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna talk it, I want to live it. So if I was digging deep, I mean, there's a lot to like. Again, it's a it's a very flawed disciplinary profile. One thing that's a little bit interesting about Schneider compared to the other players we were mentioning before, right? So he is not aggressive. So his sw- <laughs> he has a 39% swing rate. So that's insanely low. That is insane. I don't know if I've seen one lower than that. Um, so a lot of times, maybe you say to yourself, wow, if he was just just a touch more aggressive, he's only 24, right? So the, the zone contact was still obviously very weak in the low 70s. But when you see the really low zone swing at 68 and the low swing rate, there's a chance is even more like, and again, if we're just talking about like, Guys that could run hot on in Fab or DC and hit six home runs in a week or you know thirteen over the course of a month, he's definitely that kind of guy. Um, I'm a little bit more excited about that than my middle infielder. I wish I had thought of David Schneider. I did not. There is not a lot of power late, so I was thinking more in like relative terms. I got my boy Jake the Snake Cronenworth again, just more by low. Um, <laughs> Maybe, I wonder if I maybe like try to bail myself out. These are these are guys that I swung and missed on last year, by the way, right? So, but there's something to that, right? You you did a lot of research, you did analysis, you kind of data backed an argument and went forward with it. It failed in a sample, but if we're here talking about not overreacting to small blips, like these are guys you probably should still like. So yeah, Cronenworth is a you know a little bit to like. Steamer projects 15 home runs. Uh, his career pace. 600 PA pace actually is 15 home runs. Not bad. 77, 67, 15, and 5 with a 250 BA. I mean, if this guy plays every day, it's not bad from a second baseman. Again, it's not, there's not really like a lot of hulking power, but he's going to play every day. He's generally bat uh, 5 6. That may move up without Soto, of course. Uh, the disciplinary profile is fantastic, and he also has a pretty healthy pulled fly ball rate. You know, his pulled fly ball line drive was 12 and a half which again is above 
average, and he did not convert again. Running theme. A lot of these guys actually had he had 66 pulled fly ball on drives. He only had nine home runs, but that was nine of his 10 home runs. So that's how he gets to his power. He didn't run hot on those events. That doesn't mean it won't happen next time. So again, it does not make this guy right. We're not getting 40 dongs from Cronenworth. But I think the 600 PA piece being in line with the projections, being in line with the underlying stuff makes me feel like that's right where I'm at. So I think you're going to get 15 and five from Cronenworth. But yeah, he doesn't have the like a full season of Schneider. Like realistically, Schneider could hit like thirty-five dollars. Like that's what's in there. Uh, you, you need a lot to go right, but that's what's in there. That's not in the Cronenworth box. You don't get, and then you don't get that at second base. You don't get that at the middle infield. Yeah, and definitely not late. Uh, obviously, there's a couple shortstops that you know that could fit the bill there, but early on in drafts, but definitely not late here. Uh, yeah, I, I had to look it up after you talked about his, uh, you know, his swing rate. Um, if you go to if you're part of PL Pro and you have all the access to all the PLV uh, charts and, and different apps, is it just that, a you, giant stop sign? Do you just oh my a, god, it, it was just a blinking light red light. Pretty much the entire time he was up, it was the bottom tenth percent in aggressiveness. Uh, but his decision value was top notch. Like when he was swinging, he was making all the right decisions on when to swing because he, we talked about it earlier. Like Altuve would say like, Oh, I was outside of the play. I can't pull. I can't do anything. So he's deciding not to swing. Right. These are the decisions that, that go into, can I actually do something with this pitch? Even though it was a good pitch, it was a strike. It was a strikeout. Uh, like I know if I did something with it, I might do more harm than good. And Schneider's in that category right now, or at least he was last season, um, it, it, where if he's swinging the ball, it's probably for a good reason. Um, and he's going to do something with it. It's just you know, not not doing not doing much of that <laughs> when uh, he's not making that those kind of decisions very often. Now, Drake Cronenworth on the opposite end um, in the second half of the season was extremely aggressive um, and he was making all the wrong decisions. Uh, so like, if you look at his rolling chart uh, in these two categories, like I'm just staring at his decision value right now. And it just plummets in the, ba- in the, in the second half of the season where he pretty much lived in the bottom 10%. Um, and if you switch over to the aggressive uh, swing aggression chart, that rolling chart, it just, it goes in the complete opposite direction. So obviously he needed, he, he just felt like he needed to swing more and he just needs to get out of any kind of a funk and he wanted to get into a rhythm. Um, he just was doing it so often that he was just swinging at pretty much everything. Uh, so yeah, I, very do, rarely I obviously do worry see, about that. Yeah. Very rarely do you see such low swing totals with such a high zone contact rate, right? Mm-hmm. It's a freakish zone contact rate. You know, he's, he's, Career in the night, he's in the nineties. He's got some, he's got some ninety threes, ninety fours, and even did that again last year, ninety three one, which is just very, it just, it's really kind of anomalistic. I think, I think Cronenworth just corrects, and again, it's really nice, it's very vanilla, right? It's a lot of vanilla ice cream, but sometimes it's okay. Uh, obviously the Padres have a lot or not a lot going on right now. So we'll see uh, how much playing time he can actually, you know, force his way into as well. Um, all right. Well, without further ado, I won't I won't push it all the way to the end, John. I'll let you uh, start us off here in the outfield. Uh, <laughs> how are you filling your power with your with your outfield position late in draft? This, this is cool. We're going to tie in a few of the running themes from today, including the word running theme. So it's uh, pull power and an unsigned free agent, and we're talking about free agent God Adam Duvall. You know, like just pulled. Pulled batted ball, God. So he hurt himself during a diving catch 
or actually, I had a copy and paste this one. He fractured his distal radius bone, whatever that is, it was in his left easy. wrist. But it cost him like two months. We know that can sometimes sap his power. But he had a, just to get this right, a 46 home run pace for 600 PAs, mind you. Also, last year, which, again, not a lot of people can do even in small samples. Again, you don't have to squint to see the power. We go back five seasons. It's a 14% bow rate, plus 50% hard hit. Plus 50% pull. He led all of Major League Baseball in pulled fly ball line drive percentage, right? So over PAs, 27%. Just like out, just outrageous. I also think, yeah, he had a 410 expected Woba on contact, which is also something I, got, I like to look at, right? Purely isolating contact metrics. Again, you're going to get a bit of a flawed disciplinary profile. Yeah, I think that's kind of baked into the, the cake at this point. You know, he chases a bit too much. The contact's a little bit low. But when he catches it, he lifts it, he pulls it, and he takes it out. Duval, uh, I've heard the Angels and the Red Sox are sniffing around. I loved him in Fenway. He, he looked very happy and comfortable hitting there. You know, uh, so, yeah, give me Duval. He's a legit pop for 40 home runs if he plays a full season. But he's got to stay healthy. Probably not going to happen. He needs an everyday job. I don't know if that's going to happen. But at the cost, which is probably pretty late, I think you got a, a at least a streaming play on our hands, right? Or a guy in DCs that maybe for two weeks, three weeks, four mm. weeks, but now that can go in the you know in the middle of the summer, man. You're just looking for anybody. And hey, man, you catch a hot a heater from this guy. He's not just anyone. He can help to really carry. So yeah, give. Give me Duvall. I think once he signs, he probably is another one of those guys that moves up, you know, whatever, 50 picks or so. Yeah. Picked uh, in three of these last 10 or the only 10 online championships, ADP, then calculated out at 354. Yeah, he's at a 501 max. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty high. You know? Yeah. That's, and that's overall, obviously 501. That's going to be in one of your DCs. Uh, but, you know, you're still getting him in the final rounds of, yeah. of your 12 teamers. Um, you know, that's to say. Don't you love those kind of 15. play guys? I think I've, I've heard you guys talk about that, and it's it's really what sharp players do in particular. NFPC deep league short bench, those reserve spots. You shoot the moon, and he's the moon, right? And it could be a total flop, and you have to be willing, you know, say, oh, "Man, John was so excited, but we got to cut him." You know what I mean? And that's <laughs> part of it. But you have to shoot the moon. You know, a, a mistake that I made first getting into this was drafting Andrew Benintendi with my reserve picks. And that's that's not smart. That's not how you win. Because yeah. you feel kind of like you not have to Not in the fab him. leagues. Yeah, right, right, right. You feel like you almost have to keep him because he's playing and he like does just enough nothing. Take things. players that can move the needle, right, that are easy mm -hmm. cuts. And I think sure. Duval is yeah. just that. Benintendi or someone like him will be available for you when you need them. You so you don't it. have to exactly. draft him. Right. And you never, you never really want him. <laughs> you never really want him. There are going to be weeks where you are licking your chops for Adam Duvall, right? You could just get the proper run out. He could, they could be going on a, a national league trip. He goes to Colorado. They go to Cincinnati and you're like, Oh man, this is going to be great for us. We'll face some really bad pitching. He destroys fastballs. We're like, again, Ben and Tandy, he, I, I don't mean to rag this guy, you know, pro athlete, probably a nice guy, but it's like, that's the kind of prototype, the archetype, I should say, of player that I'm trying to get away from. You know, they don't move the needle. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in your fab leagues where you can make the decisions on the fly. Right. Draft and hold, you can't make the decisions. And then, you know, maybe just 
the the vanilla, the more vanilla. Like yeah, Ben and I know what I'm going to expect. I'll give you that a filler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, Kevin, round us out here. Um, in the outfield. Um, I just also had this brought it back memories. You told me how you know how he how he got hurt and how he missed that two months. He had hit like 15 home runs in three days somehow. Uh, going into that injury, uh, and I remember talking about him on the show, Kevin. It was just. So disheartening, obviously, as a Red Sox fan as well, to kind of see that happening in one of your uniforms um, and then gone, just gone into the wind. Um, but yeah, yeah. Let's, you know, I love Adam Duvall. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about somebody else I know you love and uh, who also played for the Red Sox, did okay for himself while I was there, but he played for, you know, another four or five other teams in the last three or four years. Uh, who's rounding out your outfield if you need some power late? Yeah, well, it was his year in Boston where he he really kind of made a comeback, right? He he'd been hitting for power, but the, the batting average was low. Uh, I'm talking about Hunter Renfro. We've talked a lot about Hunter Renfro this offseason. Uh, so I'm not gonna dive too deep into it. However, this is a guy close to everyday playing time is it completely everyday no is he their everyday big air quotes right fielder yes however salvador perez dh days nelson velasquez dh days or move to right field so salvi can dh right it's not going to be a full everyday role however uh it it's more than the 408 plate appearances steamer had projected. It's probably more than the 475 that ATC has now that we have ATC projections. I think we're probably looking at 500 plus plate appearances, definitely looking at 20 plus home runs. He's only been drafted in four of the 10 online championships. So he's going to be out there and available for us. Another guy with a, decent walk rate now he's not at the 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 double digit percent walk rate like the the other guys we've been bringing up but he's low 20 strikeout rate so even better there i think we see the bounce back and and that's what i've been saying every time he's he's come up in the off season uh the 255 and 259 batting averages we saw in 22 and 21 i think we rebound to that projections agree they all have him projected right around 250 rather than the 233 he hit last year. And last year, in 140 games, 20 home runs, 233 batting average is a disappointment. But what are we what are we talking about here? What are we so upset about for a guy we can get this late, a guy that's not even drafted in a majority of 12-team leagues? Uh, I mean, I, I think, this is somebody that I, I'm not just keeping an eye on. He's a guy I draft at the end of drafts and hope to be useful throughout the season for me. I, I can't imagine that we don't see Renfro playing every day, like even with the, the situation that they have. Sorry to cut you off. Who do you think gets, who do you think gets bumped? Because, I mean, I've had, I am think what a lot of people have, but I've had some deep-rooted issues trying to figure out the Royals outfield, you know, playing time. I was one of the... Uh, uh, was it Oliveris, the guy going up and down every, every week? Yeah, that was me. So, a that was me. Highway named after him. Yeah, I've been the um, Kyle Isbell guy at least a dozen times. I've done the Drew Waters thing, the water dance. I've done that water dance at least a dozen times. 
someone's going to get bumped. I, I, listen, Jason Martinez does, you know, yeoman's work. I often joke that he's the most powerful man in fantasy baseball, <laughs> right? One, one change impacts the entire drafting landscape. I don't care what anybody says. So right. he has waters on the outside looking in. Do you think – I'm afraid Renfo just ends up in this, like – I don't, I don't know that. You know, obviously he's going to play against every lefty, but, like, is he going to see all the tough righties? Is Isbell Waters going to end up on the outside? Those guys are good defenders. Renfro's got a gun for an arm. I'm not sure how great he is otherwise. I, I'm, I'm going to take state the obvious here, Kevin. I want Obviously, I want you to chime in here, obviously, as the the Royals guy here. But the, all the names, John, that you just mentioned, these were all prospects coming up. They were all rookies. They are all had options. They all had a situation where they could be manipulated in that way. Renfro coming in as the veteran on a contract. Um, that's that's the, the difference maker for me from an outsider perspective. Um, and Renfro has played every day, everywhere. He's you know pretty much all the places that he's played, and he's played at a lot of different places. So that's how I see Renfro's role going in. Uh, Kevin, like... Talk either, you know, talk, talk John off the ledge here or, or talk me into uh, uh, where I should be thinking as far as the Royals outfield situation goes. No, from everything I've gathered, what the Royals as an organization want, they want Kyle Isbell to be the everyday center fielder. I mean, he, he doesn't have to be amazing on offense, but he does have to hold his own, but they want him in center field on a daily basis. They firmly believe MJ Melendez that the, the, the second half as the ball started falling, he was hitting the ball hard all year. Things started falling. They think Melendez is going to break out and is the left fielder. Um, they really like Dyron Blanco as a, a defensive replacement and the utility outfielder drew waters i don't think is on this roster on opening day i think he gets sent down or is traded some way somehow as crazy as that sounds because i'm one of the people that still thinks drew waters has some potential there they want hunter renfro to be the everyday right fielder they want nelson velasquez to be their primary designated hitter of course, Salvador Perez wanting him in the lineup on some days at his age, not going to catch nearly as often as he used to. That's that's going to move things around. That's why I say Hunter Renfro is not quite an everyday right fielder. But if things are going well for Kansas City and the way that the organization believes they're going to go, then Hunter Renfro is the the close to everyday right fielder. Yes. Plus an injury here or there when he's playing every day. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, a lot of things can go right or wrong depending oh, yeah. on your point yeah. of view. Yeah. All right. Well, there's uh, a couple options out there at the at the end of your drafts for power if you're trying to fill that out. Uh, John, thank you so much for, for taking awesome. the time, the extra <laughs> awesome. time. Uh, I know it took us a little bit to get you on the show, a couple, you know, months, if that. If <laughs> So I appreciate uh, we finally got to make this work. It was a pleasure. Uh, go ahead and do the whole plugging thing. I know you, you don't like to do it, but you got to do it. That's the whole point. Yeah, I want to plug uh, my favorite podcast on the wire. I never, I literally never, <laughs> literally never miss it. And I can even think of there was one weekend that it didn't come out on time. And I was like outside of myself. Uh, you know, I got young kids and I crush a lot of content and podcasts. 
early in the morning, late at night, hang with the kids. And sometimes like the day starts and I'm out and I lose it. So like you guys are one of the first things that I do Sunday morning, quite literally, I spend, I, I never miss it. And it wasn't there. And, you know, it's just like, I like went and I looked out the window. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know what, like, I just didn't know what to do for that hour. So <laughs> I absolutely mean, love yeah, it. I yeah. absolutely <laughs> love you guys' work. I really do. Um, you guys, listen, follow me on Twitter, J-O-H-N-L-E-G-H-E-Z-Z-A. You look for me at The Athletic. And I have my rankings coming out soon. It, you know, I rank the top 625. I do as many stat-dense, short, little mini deep dives as I can. I work my way down the ADP. Last year, I made it to like 175 or 200 players. And then, like, you know, it's 10 bucks for the entire year, and it's a Q&A pipeline plus waiver emails and stuff. So I try and keep it cheap for people. You know, I know not a lot of people like to spend, but it, it's a it's a ton of work, and it's a lot of fun, and we did really well. So thanks for having me, and, uh, yeah, check out my work. I'll talk to you guys soon. And, I, man, I just can't wait to get into it. Again, I mentioned at the outset, like, I'm doing my first main event, and I'm worried as a content creator, right, that towing that line of helping the enemy too much. But you guys give without sure. – I feel like you guys give. You give and you give without taking. So I'm going to try and do the same thing, man. I'm going to try and emulate you guys. <laughs> and when I end up in 15th place, then it's going to be my last year doing that. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Well, we'll cross that bridge when we, when we have to. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, well, that's going to end it up for our 148th episode of On The Wire. Uh, thanks so much for everybody for listening. Appreciate it. Uh, make sure you are following all of John's work on the Twitter at John Legiza. Uh, link for that in the show description. Uh, you should already be following the pod here on the Twitter at On The Wire Pod. And right after giving us a rating and review wherever you're listening. And after all that, I am Adam Howe on behalf of Kevin Hastings. Thanks for listening. And we bid you goodbye.